Hello everybody and welcome to What's the Story podcast and this is WTS279. My name is Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. Alright, Merrow, how are you? Good, how are you? Yep, doing good man, doing good. Um, it's getting cold. It's getting very cold, very yeah. cold. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're wearing your, your hat, I've noticed, week yeah. by week now. Yeah, because that there's the some I don't put the heating on sometimes because we're in a cost of living crisis, you know. So I just try. I'm say I'm, I'm sitting in the box room and I might as well be sitting in my freezer. <laughs> like, you know, and that's I was, I was being tempted to press boost. I have the thing on my phone to, to turn the heating on, and but I keep saying no, don't do it, don't do it. So, so I sit downstairs in the sofa with a little hot water bottle now, man. Fuck this, turn the heating on. You know, like deadly. Cost living crisis indeed, man. And it's better in my pocket than it is in the utility companies. So, you know, listen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's The World Cup has begun among many things that are going on in the world. Uh, but uh, it's it seems to be controversy after controversy. And I don't know if I could be arsed talking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, what's there to talk about? Like, so what, what are we going to add to a conversation that is basically, look, look should, it shouldn't be in Qatar. They should have worn their fucking rainbow armbands. And there's lots of other disgraces in there, aside from your man from FIFA saying that he feels catarty, he feels disabled, he feels gay, he feels like a woman. I mean, he was only joy of fucking singing three verses Shania Twain out there. <laughs> no. like, he really was. I just had to laugh about the... Uh, I was cynically laughing at the English... Uh, football team saying that they were doing this for a protest and the other European teams yeah. that were saying they were doing this for a protest and then the first sign of a bit of punishment in the form of a yellow card they dropped their bollocks it's ah. like that's sorry lads but that's how protests work that yeah. is exactly how protests work don't yeah, call yeah. it a protest if you you shun away from a bit of punishment and, and that being like Roy Keane said it take it on the chin take your yeah. yellow card I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's a yellow card. Get yellow over it. Get o- in ninety percent of the groups. I thought. I think it would have been a fantastic uh, protest. And Alex Scott, it was very brave. Who is a woman? Who is a gay woman? And yeah. she actually wore the the armband uh, yeah. on our on the BBC coverage. And I thought. I remember flicking through the stations, thinking, "Jesus, fair play to you, Alex Scott. Like you, like you're." You're doing this in a country that you're not really accepted. Yeah, it's um, it's incredible to me that uh, you know the 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 national setups and the captains of these top European uh, nations and everything else, they'll they'll talk to talk, but then the merest mention of you're getting booked. Oh Jesus, sorry. Oh my God, I'm getting a yellow card. Oh no, <laughs> Harry Kane will get a yellow card for diving in this tournament. I guarantee yeah. you, he will. Well, look, I was looking at is he's been playing professional football since what 2005, and I think he has only 30 plus yellow cards. Like that's nothing. I mean, you know, you know if you're going to get a yellow card before, and look, the refs might have followed you in the protest and might have not booked you. You see, the thing for me here is like, right, there's there's something about that whole thing of something much bigger than yourself, right? Mm. And if they had known a FIFA had warned them about the yellow card and all that kind of thing, and chances are they probably would have got the yellow card in the tunnel. So then that takes away possibly the TV cameras from being there. All right, them, I'd, I'd have stashed it in my socks or in my shorts or something like yeah, that. Yeah. When the anthems are on and I know the camera's passing, I'd have been pulling that thing up my sleeve and yeah. forcing the referee when you're doing the coin toss to see who's tipping off or whatever to the cop. Hang on a second. Oh, 
And now with the eyes of the world on, I have to give him a yellow card. And yeah. commentators everywhere have to explain why that's happening. Exactly. And that one thing would have, it just would have made them shit the bed. The that would have been great. FIFA and everything. But and look, yeah. You said we won't talk about it. <laughs> I know, I know. And here we are. Uh, I'm, anyway, I'm look, enjoying the matches anyway so far. Yeah, I've watched more of it than I thought I would watch, to be honest with you. Um, and we, look, we never not going to watch it, to be honest. We'll, it's football. We will talk a bit about the World Cup and whatever, because I know there's, there's people who listen to us and there's people out there who are, you know, completely boycotting it. I respect that. Fair play to you. And there's people who are critical of media who are out there and whatever. And I'm, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, particularly media, you have to go and report it, and you have to go and report what you see because otherwise, the, the truth doesn't come out. Like the, the real story won't. We won't hear it because all we'll hear is what the Qataris tell us I'm, I'm, and I'm what FIFA tell us. So it's bollocks as well that politics and sport shouldn't mix. They do. Ah, mix. it's a nonsense, man. They do mix. I mean, you, you like, and I, I. It's just a bit of a. Hear me out, right? Yeah. There's people booing uh, Ireland played Northern Ireland recently enough in Lansdowne Road and people booed the Northern Ireland anthem on which I didn't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Those same people are probably, and I think a few of them are, saying let's not mix politics and sport together. Well then don't be booing an anthem, you tick. Sport is one of the most political things on the planet. Exactly. From everything, from the selection of the team to where things are held to the finances of it, the, the everything, 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 everything. Politics has a fingerprint in. And when people say keep politics out of sport and they're referring to things like, you know, a certain minister for sport turning up out of the blue for a photo call with somebody who has been successful. Yeah, fine. All right. Let's keep a politician out of sport. Yeah. You will not. The world doesn't work like that. And people need to be more mature. And sport, especially when you're talking about billions of people with their eyes on something, that is a great time and a great opportunity to say, actually, you know what? There's a greater good here. And there's something to be achieved from this. So Absolutely. And, and and before we go into that, I guess, I'll, I'll finish by saying, yeah. sexuality, your sexuality isn't politics. No, it's not. Right? No, it's and, not. And, and the protest that, that was abandoned because of the first sign of a bit of a punishment that isn't about politics. That's about being supportive of people in the LGBT community. So that's it. The only thing political about uh, people's sexuality and in the LGBT community is the Eurovision. And that's it. <laughs> and, and we, we leave all, it there. And we all know that's being over-politicized. And even if it is in the UK next year, and it's very possible that people from here will be going because it's on our doorstep and I'm tempted myself, it's still political. And I will die on that hill happily nonetheless I'm looking forward to Eurovision next year we're doing a Eurovision special next year Graham we didn't do it the last two years in about three years now I'm doing one just putting it out there perfect you're probably not going to talk much on this pod because we have a good I love how we're doing this as if we haven't talked to them already I didn't didn't talk much I didn't talk much (laughs) anyway our guest this week is former League of Ireland stalwart uh, underage coach um, pundit broadcaster and absolute gentleman, Graham Gartland. Graham Gartland, how are you? I'm good, Mero. How are you, pal? Great. Um, are you over your your team winning the double there on Saturday? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's something you need to get over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean over. I mean, yeah. is the bus still, is the bus is still this, there? Is this how 
is this how the questions are gonna be like or you like but uh no the buzz is still there yeah like um again like you've been in you've been in it um the winning part of it for the for them is massive like for the kids um and for us it's a it's like a culmination of all the work you've done but it's not it's not to be all in like if we had a win and if we had a won it and not played the way we would have wanted to play i'd have been disappointed like you know um you know i i, I think there are an age where they need to learn how to win but to learn how to win they need to learn how to perform and that's the biggest thing we've done this year is that like you know are you prepared to perform so you're that that's in they're in the youth development phase of preparing to train preparing to perform uh and then the results will fall where they fall. The fact that they are prepared to perform and they are prepared to train, we've got just got a lot more positive results than most other teams. Yeah. But we've been doing it since January. Um, the group has been has come together sporad- like at different times. Uh, we had lads that were still playing the Kendi Cup. Like we 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 were okay with lads still playing the Kendi Cup as a club, which. I think three three of our lads went down and played in the Candy Cup. So we didn't really have them all together all the time. So, uh, yeah, to be honest with you, like, I, I'd be a very, very much of a, just so happy for the team and, and the club. Um, Jonathan Roach is over to me afterwards. And like you said, the likes of yourself, Pat Flynn, Paul Fox, his son, Connor, Charlie Fox, who was down in Galway with us and uh, down in Athlone with us. Charlie would have, been one of the founder members of when Town became Shamrock Rovers. So then his fa- his son Paul Fox is in with the group, and then Paul's son Connor is in with the group, and then you have Steve Maguire who who w- has been in the club since 2012 as well, 2011 I think, before we even started. And then the likes of Dipper Kelly came in this year because he's on his license to help out. Rob Gray, the goalkeeper coach, who just keeps jumping into photos to like <laughs> claiming medals. Um, so yeah, like you, you saw that yourself. That you're, you're trying to be, you're trying to include everybody and bring everybody on a on a like that a little journey with you. And it was, to be honest, it was it was great. And then your own kids run out, and they had like in Pajo's kids are there as well, and it's great. Like you know, it was it was good. It was good, and I was just glad the lads. Listen, I'm, I know their scoreline is flattering as t- at times, but and it looks like we've given them a bashing. But I was just happy we played their game or their freedom and. It was good, yeah. Did you, you enjoy know, it? Yeah, I, yeah. I I loved it. I mean, I loved the the day itself. Like you bringing me into the dressing room and listening to you and Pajo's team talk and listening, watching, watching how engaged the players were. Like they they didn't take their eyes off you. Like when you were talking and they were getting geared up and you know it was just a it was just a deadly experience. And you kind of hope you know this day and age, you know. I suppose the social media day and age that the players of all ages and like in all clubs that this whole new academy system where like you had a very successful playing career, playing career, Pajo had a successful playing career in the league. And you just hope that the players are looking at you and kind of going, holy shit, like this is Graham, like Grand Garden, Scotty and Steiner Kiev in, in Europe. Pajo played against Alessandro Del Piero. I know Pajo reminds everybody who we played against, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's like, cause, cause I was listening, like 
Jeez, I got I was having goosebumps and goosebumps there on Saturday listening to you. And then when Pajo said his few words, and you know, it's you you just you're I'm conscious on or wondering what the players do be thinking. They obviously reacted well because they played well, they did what you asked them to do, and they played gorgeous football. Um but yeah, that, that that's that's how I would sum it up. I, I'm always wondering how players, even as I said, in different clubs, uh, even say when Damien Duff was involved, you know, or whatever, do they know that geez, they're they're being coached by someone who played in the World Cup, who scored in the World Cup? Do you think players at that age are appreciating that? I think sometimes they do, or you know, they might have a parent who would have known you that would go, do you know who that is, or whatever. Uh I actually think even the media stuff I've done this year has been, you could see them like, now don't get me wrong, it's a double-edged sword, like, because uh, one of the kids, and you know, little Leon, like, so Leon's from Finglas. So I was, you know, I, the media stuff started taking off back in February, and uh, i done the force clear the head with, with Pico, Pico Lopez. The feedback from the first one was brilliant, like, you know, and everybody, ah, oh, brilliant. And you're walking up the lane and Rovers and, ah, oh, well done. And you're walking into the ground, clear the head, brilliant. And you're like, yeah, and you're sort of floating around and you, you know, you're thinking, yeah, this, this has been received really well. And then we played a game and uh, Pajo says to Leon, what do you think of the big fella doing the clear the head thing? And he goes, I opened up my phone. <laughs> so he says, I opened up my phone one day and I thought, What's this gobshite doing now walking up hills? <laughs> and he brought, and the fourteen-year-old just just brought me back down to earth with a bump <laughs> in a way that only he could. And I, I just couldn't stop laughing. And I was at home that night, and I was lying in bed, and I got the giggles again. And this was like, "What are you laughing at?" I was like, "Ah, oh, Leon killed me today." Like you know, just, just took the wind down myself. So, uh, the, that's the side of it, and then. Like, I know Pajo jokes. Pajo's brilliant at either being self-deprecating or talking about, you know, playing against Ronaldo to all he did was head it and kick it. And, and he goes, there's no, there's no in between with Padge. And, and the thing we try and do is, listen, we didn't play out as much as these kids play today. Like, they have to play out. They have to play a certain way. We're asking them to do stuff that I would have been like, we <laughs> wasn't doing that at 12, 14. Like, so I'm well aware of that, but I'm also well aware that they'll be better for it. They'll be better players than us because of that. And you're trying to say to them, it's not about what we've done. It's about how we've done it or about, you know, the career Pajo had and, or, and, and who he's played against and who he's played with or vice versa, myself or even the lads. It's like, it was built off the back of, first of all, a love and enthusiasm to play football. And you, that can't be underestimated because when times are tough and they were tough and it's not easy and, 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 and I'm like, and especially when it's something you love and it hurts you, you're like, ah, oh, this is meant to give me everything, not take everything away. So that element of it can hurt, but you're saying to them like, but going and playing football and training, it, it goes like, so the hurt that you feel from football and I was, I was released from two teams before I turned 20. Um, and then by the time I was 24, I had won everything in the League of Ireland. Like, I think I'd seven, seven trophies in five years or something. So you go from one extreme to the other. But it was, 
when it was tough, it was my love that kept me going. The fact I wanted to play football and that enthusiasm I had for it. And when it was going really well, it was still the enthusiasm of, I want to keep doing this. This is great. I hope I don't get found out yet. Like, you know, some, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like an element of that, someone's going to find me out soon. I better keep this going. Um, so you're trying to give them that to say, like, again, we've got lads that dribble the ball unbelievably well. Yeah. And I'm, I, who am I? I can't go in and tell that. That kid's a better dribbler than me now at 14. Yeah. So I'm going, I can't tell him how to dribble. I can show him certain things to do or, to, you know, if a defender's hand is a certain way because, you know, or if the body shape is a certain way, that's that's where you can get at him. But I, I don't, I can't tell, I can't explain how to dribble. I can tell him, I can explain, I can give them the freedom to know when to dribble. And, and when to do that stuff and go, right, you know, step up now. It's your time, it's your time to do it. And that freedom, that freedom of play is massive for us as a, in that phase of football because you can't go back and do it. You can't go back and teach a 25-year-old how to become an unbelievable dribbler. Very hard, like. Yeah. Like, I, like you, I'm not sure if you've seen me play, I became very I've, good. Of course, I've seen you play. I, I became very good at hitting passes from the left side of the pitch to the right side of the pitch. I had wingers that were good in the air, and I had wingers that were fast. But when I went to when I went to England, I couldn't. I wasn't a very good passer of the ball. Like, so, like that that became something that I done consciously every Tuesday and Thursday. I would stay back and hit hundred passes like across the pitch to the point where I'd only have to hit one or two in a game, but. No matter what I done, I couldn't go back and all of a sudden become a brilliant dribbler. Like mm. it was just so that type of stuff and that freedom of and even like the the creative players playing true balls and they have to play more true balls at 14 than they do at 25 because they have to know when and where to do them and when to fail and how yeah. to fail. So that type of stuff that you're trying to teach them as you know, I'm not looking for the perfect game here. I'm not looking for a Man City game at, at 14. I'm looking for a bit of a bit of a bit of a basketball game, to be honest, at times, you know. You know, when you came home um from abroad, you were saying there that it's the love of the game that keeps you kind of going. And you often hear of players that you know that have come home from, from England or from wherever, Scotland, and that's where they feel the most loneliest or the most kind of like, Jesus, what do I do now? How did, how did you pick yourself back up? Cause like you said, you won five to seven trophies in, in less than four years. Then after the, the European exploits of Drogheda, you were linked with fucking teams like Ipswich town and stuff like that. So you obviously, you obviously mentally done something to kind of get back on level or did, were you at the, were you, were you at the bottom? Like when you came home or how, how was it? Yeah, close to it. Um, I have a I have a stubbornness in me sometimes that I fight with myself. You know, my missus slags me about it. Um, because if I ever get to the point where I'm getting a little bit low, I'll, I'll probably give out to myself. You know, or I rationalise it in a way that there's a lot of people a lot worse off than me. Stop giving out about it. Get on with it. You know, um. The the lowest point I probably had was was um at Dundee United and I've never actually told anyone this is and and it's probably more comfortable telling you um 
but it was the lowest I was because I was the, the, the team at the time was really heavily drinking culture in Scotland. It was 2003. And to be honest, you just went along with it. You weren't playing, so you just went along and probably drinking too much than I should have been. Well, 100% drinking too much than I should have been for a footballer, uh, let alone for, for a normal person, as in a nine-to-five job. Um, but even that then, I was getting where it was just... And you'd have bouts of just... The recovery from it was just like you'd be out till all hours, wouldn't I'd go missing, wouldn't turn on my phone for two days, just off the radar. And then, um, yeah, it was, listen, I didn't do it myself. I, 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 it was a lot of, had a lot of family around me at the time when I came home and I came home to play for Longford. Um, I fell into a really good group. And I was blessed with the group I fell into in terms of, you know, Stephen O'Brien, Vinnie Peart, Barry Ferguson, Alan Morphy, Dara Sheridan, uh, Kirby. And then obviously myself and Sean Dillon became really close. And Sean made me realise a lot of things that I, I, I thought because the world, I thought because football had let me down that I, I, I had to be nasty to everybody else and that was the way to be. And that wasn't my nature. That's not in me whatever about me as a footballer playing on the pitch where I can be hot-headed or I'm all in for my team, off it, I wasn't a nasty person. That wasn't my personality. But I had this shell on in front of me or this screen up of I have to be nasty because uh, I'm going to play like that and I'm going to act like that off it and I, and I don't care what people think. And that that was wrong because I actually, I care what people think. I care what, I don't, how do I phrase this? I don't care what people think who I don't know. I care what people think who I do know. If you walked away and said, that grain fellas, and I go, Mero, I know you, like, that would hurt. And I think that's that's important in, in, to understand that. It, like, people I cared about, I don't want them to think bad of me and vice versa. So I have no problem saying that, but it was really tough. And my sister was really good with me. My brother-in-law was really good with me. Me two, I have three brothers, uh, Declan, Alan, and Brian, and, he was he, Brian's my only little brother and he was looking up at me thinking what are you going to do now and had to make sure like and had a good mother and father were great had uncles that were in education came around and said you want to go back into education and then just realising that underneath it like listen you're a good person underneath this just find that find that sense again and uh, I remember me I remember my granddad died. I remember I went away with Ireland and I got a phone call. My granddad died. And then I got a phone call in the hotel that the girl I was going out at the time was like, listen, this isn't going to work out. So I was like... <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I'm like... And I remember sitting in the hotel. I was in the hotel room with Sean going like, it's just, everything's just going wrong here. <laughs> but the simple thing was, I wasn't that close to my granddad at the time. And... I didn't deserve that. The girl I was going out with didn't deserve to go out with her because, again, I wasn't around. Like, I just I just go off the radar, like, you know. There was no smartphones then. You were just gone. Like, so uh, that that was a reality check of, hold on, like, you know, this isn't you. And, again, it was one game at a time, one training session at a time. And to be honest, like, the reason me and Sean are so close and the reason I've so much time for Sean was Sean made me realise, not by talking to me, Sean's the nicest fella in the world, like, you know, nicest guy in the world. 
and then he'd go out and train and he'd do all his thing and he'd play and he'd walk off and he'd stand talking to everybody and I'm like now listen that's not me in terms of he's super nice but it made me realise that she okay to be nice to people and be a good teammate and, and be kind and all that stuff and generous with, with, with your time and your infinite or whatever you have and uh, and still be have an edge on the pitch and that 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 was the, that change but that's why I have a lot of affection for that group at Longford even though from the outside looking in we were all we were we were a nasty team, but we were together, like you know. Well, we were like you know, yeah. we, we, our disciplinary record was shocking, um, but like we were we were together and we were there for each other, and and that gave me that sense of, you know, this is football's okay here again. Yeah, I'm good at this, like. Yeah, I'm good at it, and I fit that model, and and then I became vocal and loud, and I would be bubbly in the dressing room, and I was friendly and. Just being, I just got this sense of being around people. I was part time as well. I was working on the building sites in town. Right. I was getting fifty quid a day and shooting off to play football. And I just, I just loved it. Like it was just, I was living in my mom's. We're training in Temple Oak. It was like we got the we we won the FAI Cup final in 03. We got we won the League Cup in 04. We won the FAI Cup in 04. And I was just, they were just brilliant. Like you know that to go from like I said to you, nearly not playing football. When I came home in uh, the summer of 03, to being like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. I was training with St. Pat's. Uh, they weren't, they were sort of hemming and hawing, messing about. Uh, Longford just came in and said, we'll sign you. And I was like, right. And, uh, but it is like, I, I, you see it with, you see it with kids all the time. You see they're broken. Like, and what happens is you'll, you'll watch a kid who's come home and, and it hasn't worked out for him. And and you, whenever disappointment hits them at different times, you can just see that. Just you can just see the air come out of them of oh this again, like this isn't working again. And you can see it, and and that's why I'd always, you know, Dara Sheridan ran an aftercare program for kids coming home from the UK. I was just going to say about four or five years ago there was something. Is yeah. that still going? I don't think so. And I I just feel and it's something that I feel at Rovers we need a better resource for. If if a lot of our kids are going to the UK, are going to Europe, but we need an after we our idea when we started this was to have a care program that you stayed in touch with them. Yeah, um, you kept you, because a familiar voice that has helped them to be successful can trigger things. So it's like you hearing a coach that helped you when you were younger, even though you're away in a different club, it can trigger. Oh yeah, I was successful with him. We can you know that's great to hear that. So things like that. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it's a it's something you have to get through yourself a little bit that that thing of finding is this really what I want yeah and if it is you know the support around you is massive and like I said to you uh, all my family um, um, my brothers and sisters are all successful so I wasn't going to sit there going well I'm a I'm a failure because you do feel like that you you lose your identity uh, it happened even when I lost my job at Dundee that moment, that realisation of, oh, and then you go, the kicker with that one is, I've got two kids that are looking at me now. And that was, that was extremely difficult as well. Because you lose your job and it's on, it's on the yellow bar on Sky Sports. Like, you can't hide from it. Yeah. So again, you, you go, Fuck, I have to face this now. And, and you walk by and, like, I'm in Scotland. Not many people know me in Scotland, but you still think they're looking at you. You know what I mean? That's your fellow. You're like, so it makes you that. Thing. And even I remember going home. That, that goes back. That attitude goes back to what you were saying about, you know, you're sometimes unfair to yourself. 
Yeah. So you were thinking when you're walking around Scotland after losing your job, Jays, are they talking about me or, yeah. or whatever? I remember actually, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the yellow bear. That was when, that was when you were starting the Rovers Academy and then you went to Scotland, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually remember, if you don't mind me saying so, seeing it on Sky Sports News that you and Neil McCann uh, were released. Yeah. And I was thinking, fucking hell, he's not gone that long. Yeah, it was 18 months, yeah. So you moved, to, did you move the family over to Scotland then? Yeah, my wife was from, my wife, that's where I met, I met Hannah in Scotland. And um, she'd been over here for five years. We moved over in, I think it was 2012. We got married uh, 10 years actually this next month. So you? Uh, I know, yeah, done well, didn't I? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the, 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 L face, the facial expressions don't go out in this, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, I, I walked back in. Neil had offered me, to, Neil, got in, Neil got in the job as temporary and said, will you come over and help me finish out the five games? We need to keep them up. And in fairness to Jonathan, Jonathan was a bit like, listen, Graham, I'd rather you didn't. John Rose? Yeah, Jonathan and Shane was just said, listen, I'd rather you didn't. It can dilute the value in Air Club. And I went, yeah, I, 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 in fairness, I said, I understand that. I did, actually. Um, I just wanted a different experience. So, um, but I, 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 I said no, and then... Um, he came, he came, he took the job and he came back in. And I, I had gone right. And then I, when I said it to Hannah, she, she was like, right, it was a chance. We had two kids. They hadn't lived in Scotland. There was a chance for them to go back. Um, and it was just an opportunity to do something that I was like, I was, I was actually only, I think I was 33 at the time. Like, young, you know, I was the youngest assistant manager in the division. Um, so I just took a chance to go. But you're right, yeah, 18 months. It didn't seem that long, but it felt long. Um, and then... A year later, like I was on garden leave for a year, and then a year later, you start back working, and then COVID hits, like you know. So you go from having like a job where you're just you're not paid to go in, but then all of a sudden there's nothing, and then you go to go back to work, and then there's the global lockdown, and you're like, what the like? <laughs> what I, are you doing now? I know, and I had I had planned to come back here. Uh, I had a job lined up, and I was going into work at Rovers again, and all of them went. I had three jobs going in a day, like, you know, and I was like, what the, and that thing of that mental resilience you spoke about earlier that you, you learn and you, you grow with it. Like, you're like, right, I just have to do this one step at a time. And, but that stigma kicks in again. I got, um, my brother-in-law runs a, a really good company and he rang me, he said, listen, would you go working on the sites? This was back in 2020. Would you got, would you, we need, we're short labourers. Everything else was locked down. So you couldn't do one. So I was like, yeah, I will. So I went labouring in 2020 for um, three months. And then the job came up at uh, uh, Mercury Security with Paul Fox. Um, but yeah, again, that stigma of walking in people looking going you know you and you use the place and you're like yeah and, oh yeah and what are you doing on the sites and i was like I have to work like I have two kids <laughs> like <laughs> have to have a wife and two kids have a wife and two kids I have, like it's not like I, again i don't want to be going through my savings do you know what i mean yeah. like i have to work like so i'm like i have to work and then uh but it was tough because i couldn't get back to scotland because of the yeah. lockdown so that was tough like that was mentally 
really tough not not seeing my kids for not holding your kids for three or four months at a goal. It was tough. You know, um, just asking as a Rovers fan, the t- when you signed for Rovers in 2012 and that bulk of players that signed, why, looking back now, 10 years later, why do you think it didn't work? As in, like, their household names in terms of League of Ireland all signing for the best club in the country and it just didn't seem to gel. Yeah, I, I have a lot of... Like, Michael O'Neill had such a hold on the group and he had such a way of dealing with them that he was free with them, but he'd ridiculed them to the point of, and he was ruthless with them. So if you didn't play, if you didn't perform, you didn't play. And he had that sense of he cut them with like, he'd be sarcastic with them. He would cut them. He was ruthless with who he played and who he didn't, and what games suited which players. And they just come off the back of the group stages. And then Stephen came in. And Stephen at the time, one of the nicest fellas you meet, Stephen Kenny, by the way, like gentleman, but he just caught a group that were so used to being treated with this ruthlessness that Stephen was telling them they were brilliant. And you're sitting going, this, like, they don't, like, you probably don't need that. You know what I mean? We, we, we needed to be driven. Um, we needed ground rules and things in place. And, and there was none of that. Like the, the setup at the time, and I remember even talking to Jonathan Roach about this because I moved home, lived in, lived in my mom's as well, just moved back into my mom. Hannah was still in Scotland. And I was like, why are we training in the AOL? Why are we training in Tala? And like fucking no gym, no food afterwards. Um, about this only 10 years ago. Like, yeah, yeah, it's mad. So it was not like you're, you're going back, uh, like, but there was no, none of that, like uh, no gym program. No certain weight you had to be, no like um body fats being taken, like all of that stuff. And they were, but they were they were never it was done, but it was never followed up, you know that way. It was like there was no collectiveness of togetherness about it. it was we didn't eat together, we didn't work out together, we didn't do anything together. It was all branched off. And Stephen just couldn't get it going. And, and and some of it was down to the fact that he was probably a little bit too nice. But again, that's not his fault. Like, my professionalism didn't change no matter who my manager was. Um, but some of the lads just were like, it was too free. And, and they were like, well, it's grand. And, and like, I remember one morning, one Sunday morning, and I don't tell this lightly because I'm not, I'm not a story, I'm not one to put the boot in, but I remember we told, we were meant to play an 11 v 11 game on a Sunday morning, like, and three lads didn't turn up. And you're like, and it frustrated me a lot because I was, I actually took a lot of stick that year. People saying I didn't care. And it wasn't that I didn't care. I did care. Probably cared too much. Um, I had, I had back surgery at two, two or three epidurals. I wasn't the player I was before I went away. I, I, a ridiculous amount of injuries in St. Johnson. So I came back a little bit broken, but all my family and mates were in the crowd. Like I, I wanted to play well. I didn't want to embarrass myself. And and if the people that were in the dressing room that probably weren't caring were were skating or sliding through, and then the people that did care were getting hammered. And you're like, I didn't think that I didn't think the outside perception of it was was right as well. But um, it was such a hard dressing room because 
and I don't as much as I don't blame the players, I just blame the whole environment because yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Again, I'll go back to we went we went full time at Drada in 05. First year we went full time. Paul Doolan made us eat together every day. Like you're eating a half one. Every one of you get out there and he, he's like doing gym session. That's your groups. You're doing it together. We were forced to be together, like forced. Point, there's lads that you're like, fuck's sake, but you're forced. You had to be around them. And we didn't have that. We didn't have that at, at, at the, with that Rovers team at the time. And they needed it because with Michael gone, they needed that togetherness that we could call each other out and things. And But again, if I call the lad out who, who I haven't played with, he's looking thinking, you weren't here the last two years. We've been successful. Yeah. And vice versa, they're calling me out and I'm going, Oh no, you like do you know what I mean? So that's that's the natural thing that happens in a club, isn't it? When you've had a kind of successful manager in place, and then when a new manager comes in with the old manager's players, it's always gonna be hard to stamp your fucking authority down or whatever. And it's it's funny you're saying there about you getting stick. I mean, I think especially when you're playing for the club like Rovers, and if you're not getting results, and if you're losing to balls in Daily Mount by a high scoreline the natural reaction of fans is to say, oh, so-and-so doesn't care, so-and-so doesn't care. Now, I, ne- I never really took to, to, to that in, in terms of saying whoever didn't care, but it is kind of the, the natural emotive reaction isn't yeah. it, from the fans. And listen, it's not like, again, I, I know that, I remember the game, like, we didn't perform and I didn't perform, but it wasn't through a lack of effort. Preparation. Like, it was our effort. It was just... You know what I mean? I remember, like, I remember just starting the game and thinking, right, we'll we'll go, at, we'll do this, and you know, you're trying to play, and you know, you have to play because you're overs type of thing. And like, I'm, I'm thinking, ah, we should have just went and had a big battle with them and see where it goes. But, um, yeah, like it was, yeah, you get embarrassed by that because, again, I don't think I've ever been on the end of a scoreline like that, even in the league. So, I was embarrassed for that myself, as as. An individual player, and then obviously you do you you know how much it means to the club then, um as well, and like that's that's the biggest thing. Like whatever about my own personal feelings, but the club losing four 0 away to Bowes is 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 embarrassing, yeah. and um it was and it still is. Like you know, there are always fans that you know will will mention it to me that you're like, all right, you know, and you know, like, but... Let it go 10 years later and I'm bringing yeah, it but again, yeah. <laughs> But I can't, like, again, you're, you're nearly embarrassed. Like, I, I'd be heading my hands, like, going on, oh, like, you know, it's it's one of the you know, low points as a player. But I think I play... I remember doing pre-season and pre-season going really well and we had, we, we we were looking at goalkeepers and, and the goalkeeper situation became such a negative as well. Yeah. And we, we'd gone away and... I think Sibby had been injured and Ken O'Man had been injured a little bit. So I was the one that was playing. And then a week before the start of the season, I got knocked out with a, a really bad chest infection. Um, and I'd, I'd have asthma. So I was like, I ended up being out for 10 days, came back and I, I, I didn't start. And uh, I remember just being a bit annoyed because I was like, I wasn't annoyed at not playing, but I remember just being annoyed that I was flying in pre-season and gone well and, you know, you're hoping to kick off and then you, you can't get in for a little while. Um, and then it just starts just going progressively. That We were scraping games where Twiggy was scoring in the last minute. It was Twiggy's last year. Twiggy was, in the summer, was just real 
didn't know what he was doing and then eventually he says, right, I'm leaving. Um, Stevie O'Donnell was there. He was injured. Chris Turner was was there again. He was in and out. He, him and Stephen just didn't get on. Um, so it just became one of these difficult seasons and mm. everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, and But I remember playing, I actually remember playing against Limerick in the Cup against Rory Gaffney, a young Rory Gaffney. The ball got knocked into the corner and I had a good run on him. And now he done me like, and I remember thinking, that's me. Like, oh, I remember really? having that moment of, that's never happened before. Like, you know, and I remember thinking, I'm well, not moving well here. And went to remind them. What did you remind Rory? No, I don't know. He's can do, he done me enough. Probably, <laughs> he probably he probably would have said which one. But um, I end up going. I remember going. I remember something happened. Then I went to go, and me, me back went. And I remember going to Tony, going, I can't move here. And we, we, I was trying to play. I actually went to play. Would you believe we were struggling for bodies? And I said to Stephen, if we're down bodies, I'll play. But I, I probably can't train. On the Thursday or the, fr- or the Wednesday, the Thursday, I'll go out and do a small bit of running with Tony. And he's like, Well, I'd rather you trained. And I went, Listen, if I train, I might struggle for Friday. And I had a bit of a fallout with Stephen over it because I said, Like, I, I felt I said it to him. I said, I thought you tried to embarrass me. And uh, he apologized. And I had a chat with him. I said, Listen, Stephen, I probably, this back injury doesn't go away. I probably won't be playing again. Like, you know, I was 31 at the time. So he started to realise they had a look at me and went, right. So then um, I ended up getting a back operation. I got my disc drained, got two epidurals. And I played, in fairness, I played the last month. We played and I, I started moving better and enjoying it, but I could never sustain it. I could I could play one week really well and then the next week I'd, my body would just shut down. I wouldn't move well. And then the following week I'd go, right, I can do this again. But it was never consistent. And, and then you get embarrassed because it was never at the level I was back in 06 or 07 when you're the team of the year and winning leagues and stuff. And I just thought, probably fucking embarrassing myself here. Like, so I just, that was why I decided just to go, right, I'll leave it. Like, you know, good luck. Yeah. But the, the, that year, that year was particular. That was, that was one of the toughest years because it, it meant so much to be playing in Tala. In like, this is where I was from. And, yeah. I, and, I, and, uh, that meant a lot for it did for the not to work it was it was disappointing. You know when you came home after the after Scotland uh, when it didn't work out with Neil, uh, how did you get back involved with Rovers? To be honest with you, Mero, like I'd be a good fella for like staying in touch with people like that. I'd be close with like and obviously I I grew up with Bradzer, but I played with Robbo. In fairness to Jonathan, myself and Jonathan would check in on each other once a month when I was away. Um, and I know, so things like that. Um, so Pete, I, I'd be good at just sort of having chats and then yeah. Um, Shane just asked me, do you want to come back up and coach? And I went, yeah, yeah, i coach. Like, you know, and it was actually Jay Shields who was with the 15s. He didn't have a coach. And he had said, would you just come in and coach? And I went, yeah, I, I was happy to just coach. I didn't have to do any messaging or I just went up and done my sessions and, and left. Like So the likes of Justin and Giddy and Tete were in that group. And uh, it was enjoyable, Like, but they were, again, they were different because they, they, they were 15 at the time, but 
they were a difficult group because they were coming from diff- a few different clubs and he'd had a few different managers. So when you start putting demands on them, they're looking at you like, so I was like, I just thought it was a teenager, I think, fucking teenagers, like, you know. Um, when you compare them to this group, the, the 14s that we have now, none of them say anything. Like, you just, you just go and get on with it. Uh, so again, you're just different people and different groups, but the likes to, to see the likes of Justin and Gideon come true from it, it's great, like because um, like Justin, I used to fucking Justin used to bust me balls, like, and I'd be like Justin, fucking just pat, like uh, I I'm and I'd be one of the freest coaches you work with in terms of dribbling, and he dribble by two players, and I go now pull the trigger, like, and whatever you're gonna do, pull the trigger on your pass, pull the trigger on your shot, you check again, and I'd be like Justin, and he just look at me like you know, yeah, I go so moments like that of just like teaching them. Right, your first bit's brilliant, but you need them product here, like you know. And what what point in your playing career did you t- did you want to be a coach? Was there any? It was by was accident, it... Mero. Yeah, I tell you, I got on a shoot. It was by accident, and I, and I don't mean that in a in a. I gone back to college. Would you believe when I retired? I was I was I got accepted on. I was in Trinity, and I got accepted to do either physiotherapy in Trinity or sports uh, therapy in DCU. And uh, my son was just born, Gabriel. And I was like, right, make a decision. But halfway through doing the college, uh, Robbo said, we've a team here. that are It's the only Premier Division team we had at Rovers at the time. 2014 it was. No, tw- uh, yeah, 2014 was it? Yeah, 2014. It's the only Premier Division team we have. Will you come in and help us, the bottom of the league, and we need them to stay up. Because the National League is coming in at 17s and 19s in two years. So I was like, right. So I was out in the AOL. I was myself and my wife were living on the north side at the time. So I says, yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll come in and do a session. So I, I would do the Thursday session if you were playing on a Saturday or a Friday session if you were playing on a Sunday. So I started doing it. We done the defending session with them one time and uh, just went in and put a bit of a shape on it and demand and all that. And Robbo's going, oh, that was good. And I went, yeah, thanks. And just off I went. And then before I know, I'm doing the Wednesday, Friday session, you know. And then Robbo's going, Garth said, we need, we need to stay up here. Like the second bottom, we need them to stay up with you. Will you come out and do the game? <laughs> and I'm like, so I went from doing a Friday to doing a Wednesday and a Sunday. And then before I know, I'm on the side of the pitch going, get up, squeeze. <laughs> like, you know, like, and then... And again, it was like, all of a sudden, Robbo's going, you're good at this, like, and I'm going, ah, like, didn't, and then, will you take this team? All right, I'll take that team. That team goes well. Right, will you do that team? Right, yeah, that went well. You know, it was just, it was just a snowball effect, really. And then, you know, in terms of, like, understanding the game, in my head, I could understand the game. I could see the game. A lot of the times I couldn't do what I could see, but um, yeah, it just it just sort of snowballed from there, and it was just Robbo just kept. We didn't you, have we didn't have many coaches at the time in the club like we did, yeah. but they were they were parents, they were parents of kids and just lads helping out. We didn't have like you know any ex players involved or any even like lads who were on the coaching courses. We didn't have any of that. Like we we we'd we'd a small little band of people. Some of them are still here in terms of they were brilliant for the club. Like like I said, like Paul Fox, Noli, 
uh, Naoli, Craig Matten was in, in at the time, um, Steve McGuire. So we had a small nucleus of fans who were helping. And it was really important for us that we kept that because they know what it means to play for the club and what, and this is everything they ever wanted. But there was none like, like now you look at it and you're like, Jesus Christ, the coaches you're walking by are like, well, like, you know, but it was, it was just Robbo constantly going, will you jump in with that team now? And that team needs a hand. Will you jump in with that? And Graham, listen, they're a little bit down at the moment. Will you go in and give them a talk? Yeah, no bother. Like, you know, and yeah. then I end up getting the director of coaching role. Then Stephen took, Stephen Bradley took the first team job and then, I was doing the community officer role and Stephen came to me and said, oh, Shane said, listen, when you do the director of coaching as well on top of the community role. So we were just, to start with, we were doing everything, Mero. You yeah. know, we were just, we were just trying to get the thing. Rolling. Only 50 jobs. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it was, yeah. And, and I, I say that to the lads. We, we, the fact that was in Tala meant a lot to me. That was the reason I, I really rode in behind it. Because I actually felt when Rovers originally came in, I didn't think, I thought they just came in and thought, ah, the lads will just, this will just fall into our laps and tell it. And I just yeah. don't think, especially in the schoolboy section originally, I'm not on about when they got when they got the stadium. I'm talking about when they came into Tallah during the 90s and uh, the schoolboy section took over Tallah Town. And I think they just thought they'd just, they'll mop our whole thing up. But, he just didn't do enough around the community. And that was one of the biggest things that I wanted to do when I became community officer was what can we do for you as a club instead of come on and watch us and buy our gear and pay for season tickets. What can we do for you to show you we care? Like, yeah, that was massive for us. And even now, like, like the success from, from back then to now, even from Academy up to the first team, I mean, when you're up and I'm on my way up to Pajos and uh, on the streets, you see, honestly, genuinely, you see more Rovers uh, gear than any English Premier League team. I think Rory Higgins was saying the same for Derry. Do you think, like, got, talking about League of Ireland now, do you think in the last, probably since maybe either the year before COVID or during COVID, we kind of probably missed football. People people were, were pining for live sport. Do you think we're actually... Turning the corner now in in the League of Ireland. I, I, yeah, I I remember in I remember in the two thousands it was it felt like that as well. You were going to grounds and there was big crowds at it, and there was a lot of media coverage and there was a lot of talk around it, you know. And I think it's similar. And I hope the same. My only negative on that would be to start with the negative first. We need an infrastructure around it to handle it. And it's and it's still not there yet. But the positive is that I think people are realizing with whatever the cost, whatever the cost of living or whatever lockdown done where people couldn't, like you said, people couldn't access live sport. They couldn't bring their kids to things. Like now their kids are going, can we go somewhere? They're like, Yeah, we might as well. Should you've been in sitting in the house for two years or let's not waste it or you know, that type of thing of do you know what? be probably sat around in, in COVID and said, you know what, we're we gonna do more with these kids or get yeah. them to games or I'm gonna do more with with, with things instead of because it'll, it'll be there next week and you realise the f- fragility of it maybe. Um but yeah I I do agree, I do think it's turning but I'd still I'd still love to see I still don't think it's turning as quick as it should considering the fan base is up. So again what 
what drives the needle is fan base because then you go right that's that's revenue what are you going to do with that revenue and what you're going to do for the people that are supplying that revenue so can we get better facilities for the fans can we get like talking to you can you get better wheelchair access and grounds um, can you get better training facilities for the players can you get better training facilities for the kids can we have a joined up thinking with the FAI and the schoolboy league so that kids aren't out training in fucking terrible weather now, you might say, and I heard this about Scandinavians and all the Dutch teams train in bad weather, and you're going, yeah, they do, but they have indoor halls as well. We don't. like. So whatever, whatever argument you want for it, we're not, we don't have an answer. And, and, and we don't have an answer because we don't have funding. And we don't have funding because we don't um, basically feed we don't put enough importance on what sport can do for teenagers and, 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 and group sport as in whatever sport you're into, whatever you're getting into. Like we lived in an area in Sterling, me, myself and Hannah, and it was at the back of one of the worst um, places in Sterling. It was called the Rap Lock. And the Rap Lock, a principal came into the Rap Lock and gave all the kids instruments. Said, right, pick an instrument. That's yours. Whatever happens to it, don't worry about it. It's yours. So they gave them all these instruments. What happened was the kids started swapping instruments and learning to play different things. They'd wreck it, they'd get another one. And it uplifted the whole area like, because it gave them something. It made them feel important that this mm. was mine and I cared about something. And like the fact it was arty lifted them. And then you go, and that's just a small project to uplift a small little area. So that's, then you go, the Norwegian model is that they build a big municipal system uh, where they can play every sport after school they all go for two hours they play golf they play tennis they do gymnastics they do loads of different sports and at 14 they decide well that's which one I go on and you're like but the way the Norwegians look at it is because that's such a socialist country it lowers their healthcare bill because they have a lot more healthier adults because of it it lowers their, it lowers their, um, their government tax bill for troubled ch- children. Do you know yeah, what I mean? So again, it, it's so stuff like that that you go. There's so many things that we could look at, but and I know you talk about this stuff and on this show is political at times, but I just don't think there's enough help. And then what happens is you'll turn and blame the kids, and you go. I pay taxes. We all pay taxes for our kids to get the best of stuff. You know what I mean? Give them something to help them. Like and it's a no-brainer. Like even yeah. like like sport and inclusion and stuff. Like even the last census, the most participated sport in Ireland is football. Yeah. And when you look at other sports, and I am going, I'm I'm not going to personally pick on greyhound racing, but greyhound racing gets way more than football. Yeah. That that just doesn't make sense to me. And then when you see, I'm not 100% against this whole bid to host the Euros in 2030. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not 100% against it at all. However, when, they, when they're able to cough up 125 million for the bid alone, you're kind of going, geez, if you gave the League of Ireland and grassroots even, not even 50. less than half percent of that, 50, less than 50% of that, we'd flourish like because yeah. we were saying there that the league since COVID or whatever has, has flourished and it's got better, but that has got better organically. 
like yeah. you said, that that needs infrastructure. That needs, and we don't have the infrastructure from no. the governing body. So we've done it ourselves. So every League of Ireland fan has done it themselves. And I've noticed in the last 18 months, um, when fans have been allowed into matches, I've noticed uh, from social media, families and people getting season tickets. Their first year is they're getting season tickets for League of Ireland that they would have, they'd go, be going over across the, the channel to watch yeah. um, their, their team, whether it be Everton or, or Liverpool or Man United or whatever. And now they're kind of, I think the penny has dropped and kind of saying, well, I've this on my doorstep. I've, say, for example, I've Tallis Stadium in my doorstep. But I look at St. Pat's last game at Richmond. They had more attendance there than the year they won the league in their final game of the season. Yeah. Do you know? So the Pats have done more in the community. Than absolutely. They were winning the league. And again, again, the, the club has a social responsibility to uplift its area. Mm. And that, that's the thing for me. So I, I can sit here with you and say, I work at Rovers Academy. I worked at Rovers Academy when they were training in the daughter. I worked at Rovers Academy when we were training in Spawell. And, and, and people can come up and go, ah, look at you now. And I go, yeah, but I don't know when it wasn't. I don't know when it wasn't good. But if you said to me, I would like that for every club. Mm. I would love that for every club. And that's, that's take, take a Rovers hat off here. I don't care. I'd, I'd love that for every club. I'd love them to have proper training facilities. I'd love for all the up and coming coaches who love football and want to coach that it's a it's a it's a proper profession that you can get behind in this country. I'd love all that. Yeah. I would love the a proper infrastructure of football in this country. You mentioned Greyhound racing. Again, not picking on it, but where's the participation for in Greyhound racing? A teenage kid goes and walk walks two dogs in the evening or what well, like how is that? How is that uh, making the collective better? The the, yeah. the the kids and again working class areas like I like I grew up in Jobstown. I grew up in Jobstown before they built the square. We had nothing, we had nothing like had mountains up that way. We had football fields out that way, and and you went certain ways like. And if you if you went the wrong way, you weren't coming back like. Yeah. And and only for football and only for. Like again, I touch on it only for my sister was that good in school, and then my brother was that. I walked into school with this perception that I can't act the bollocks here, like you know. Yeah. So, and I, I just want to say as well about greyhound race, and I'm not saying they shouldn't get any funding, no, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that they get more funding than the most participated sport on the island. Correct. I That's don't. All again, I'm I, it's not that I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying anyone shouldn't get any funding. Absolutely, yeah. you're saying that the the, the the most participated sport on the island, the one that. Uh, most young kids take part in both men, uh, girls, and boys here, yeah. Um, which has become a massive thing, gets the least amount of funding, and yeah, that's the true. one that will uplift your area, and that's the one that will uplift children, and 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 keep them on the on the right path or or whatever, and, and all that stuff. So I agree with you there. It's not putting down look, something else. And look Just at boxing, even them. look at amateur boxing. And yeah. the funding that's coming out of amateur boxing now because yeah. of, and you're like, it's the same thing. You're like, the amount of, all my mates were boxers growing up and I'm like, only for it. You know what I mean? Only for yeah, the, the, that they had somewhere to go. It's mad to me that people will be at the moment sitting watching the World Cup, you know, cursing the fact that Ireland aren't in it and, you know, that we haven't been to a World Cup since 2002. But as you've been saying, 
that that investment in grassroots, that that piece of the puzzle is so key to ensuring that those like take Tala for example. How many schoolboy teams are there in Tala? Like I, I remember when I was playing schoolboy, you Jobstown, Melleroons, Aylesbury, uh, Kilmarnock, St Mark's. Yeah, you know, they're, like there's such a hive of potential in that, and all it takes is for somebody to nudge it the right direction. Yeah. And yet, you know. Like Mero, you pointed it out for years to me, and I used to slag you over it when it's called the League of Ireland waste time or whatever. But like the reality of it is that nobody who has the power to write the check or nobody has the power to back this is is taking it on and taking it seriously because they're too busy saying, oh, people are getting on Ryanair flights every week and going across to England. People are, you know, whereas the reality is get it from grassroots, build it. And that's how we do this. Like, and that's how you get on. And they will come as the saying and, yeah, yeah, and it know. works. But if you best Again, we get we get stick for the grassroots side of the game that you know League of Ireland clubs are ruining it. We're not. No. I believe the grassroots is massive, and I'd love to see a bigger investment in it. Again, the right co- the bigger investment in the coaches, bigger investment in the facilities for it. I think the more the the more people we get participating in it, it's great. What air thing? What where I would have the it's the crossover. So for example. I'll give you an example, right? Ireland under fifth, Ireland under sixteens went down to play Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. The victory shield there about uh, four weeks ago, two yeah. months ago, or about six weeks ago. They won it. They won the victory shield, and my friend was over from Scotland, uh, and he says to me, "Got a few players there, haven't you?" And I went, "Yeah, we're good, yeah." And he says, "Yeah, you're better than Scotland, like." And I went, "I know," and I said, "Like we." We beat Scotland 4-1. A Rovers player, a Rovers player scored in the game. He said to me, he's a player, isn't he? And I went, yeah. And he says, he's the best player on the pitch, Graham. And I went, yeah, he's up there, one of them. And I says, my worry is then, from 16 to 18, all them Scotland players are going into full-time academies. So they're going to train every day. So they're going to train for 12 hours a week. And they're going to have a weight programme. And what do our lads do? So... What, what what happens is the, every and I've heard so many people say this is that well the old way worked we produced players and you're going it did because everybody was doing the same thing so the likes of Robbie Keane and Damien Duff and all them boys were coming through and playing against lads in England that trained two nights a week as well a guy walked into Barnsley at 17 and they were like who the fuck's this I remember going into the U team and they were like the lads like who's this and then all of a sudden we're playing our first game and they're like Garth's is captain and they're like right and he's he's the one and they're like yeah and I went from like but to walk in and do that in an academy at, like a, a year behind them actually because I said to do me leaving cert I could compete against them no mm-hmm. problem because I was coming from an environment where I was training two nights a week at home farm but so are they and I was playing in maybe a little bit more of a competitive league at the time. But I was playing with my school. I was playing Gaelic football. I was, I was playing loads of sports. But what happened was in the UK and in Europe, the, the hours from 14 to 16 jumped from like three hours a week or four hours a week to eight hours. Ireland instead of four. Then what happened was the, the, the jump from 16 to 18 was your full time. You're going to train 12 hours. You're on a weight program. You're on a diet program. You're on a technical program. Ireland, we're still training Tuesday, Thursday. 
So the bridge was gapping and gapping and gapping. Gapping was gapping. And it wasn't that we were still doing what we were doing in 95. And that, that was okay. But the English academies, like people forget this. And I had a good chat with Joey O'Brien about this. And he said it to me. He said, Graham, the English academy's got the hump that like, and the FA went, right, we're not competing enough. And they, they redone their whole academy. They redone everything. He said, so what happened was they invested in their academies, invested in their coaching education program. They done all this. He says, and they basically went out and made all their youth international teams as strong as they could uh, as a result of it. And then England start winning youth international tournaments, start competing. Then they get to obviously the semi-final, they get to the final. So, but that was put in place 20 years ago. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, 15, I was going to ask, I was going to say, how far behind are Ireland in, in the grand scheme of things in terms of that catch-up piece with the gap? Yeah, unless we unless we do something drastic, it's it's just it, you're never going to catch it. Like Rovers Academy wouldn't be in the top 30 academies in in England, like mm. because we've won Astro, we've won grass pitch and we have a seven side pitch we have a small indoor gym and we have a small indoor hall you look in most UK, most teams in the UK top premiership teams would have a full size indoor hall would have a full size gym would have a swimming pool would have a physio room would have all these facilities and then you go and have four or five match pitches with two Astros and and, and then floodlit all the way through and you're like we're, we're like but we're the we're the ones that we're being held up as that but we're just trying, and and yeah. and but you need help. Like the FA went and helped these academies. Like I remember going to, I remember going to Liverpool's academy when I was at Barnsley. Going, oh my god, like this is unbelievable. And now they've built another one. Yeah, yeah. Like do you know what I mean? Like, time, like, yeah. You're going, what the like? But this, this is the thing as well about the international team, and we're losing the teams like our countries like Azerbaijan, and then you're kind of going, well, Azerbaijan has a football industry. As was I have full time underage coaches that are being paid, and we don't. So yeah. you have to put it. You have to put these results at senior level into context. Where, like you said, other other academies across Europe were going and going and going and going, and we were stalling because we had Damien Duff and and, and Robbie Keane that graduated. Do you know, but like if you look at th- th- that squad, that famous squad that celebrated uh, Brian Kerr's squad from from Malaysia, like Duff and Keane are the only two that graduated to the senior team. He wasn't even that. in it. Keane wasn't even in it. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. So Duff was the only right. one that graduated uh, from that. And I think that's a very poor reflection and very poor result in what is heralded as a, a successful and it was a successful team oh, yeah. for its age I'm not putting that down but I'm, what I'm putting down is that the lack of graduates I that think graduated. was in that team as well he came through um, was he in Malaysia? Macker I'm not sure no I don't think he was I think it was Tommy Morgan or someone else played in midfield it was Tommy but Morgan right. yeah but you're right like, and again it's I, I don't have the answer like, I'm not sitting here telling you I have the answers but I know the I, answer I know is government what, investment though correct 100% but yeah. and what they decide to do with that government investment or who they decide to give that to it has to go to infrastructure it has to go to the players Yeah. yeah. because the simple fact is like no matter who's coaching them as long as they're getting contact hours to a certain extent, they're, they're going to come. Like, Yeah, it's like Danny said, build them and they will come. Look at the Charlie McCreevy years when he was finance minister. He gave the horse in, horse in Ireland, horse in industry, tax-free incentives. 
And yeah. now that industry is heralded as one of the best in the world, best yeah. horse trainers in the world, best, best horses in the world. That's because it's a tax-free incentive. So give League of Ireland teams a tax-free incentive and build them and they will come. It's as simple as that. But um, it, it, you're not competing, Graham. Like, I, I, like, we're just not, like, again, from 16 to 18, them Scottish lads will improve and overtake air lads at 18 because air lads won't get full-time coaching between 16 and 18. And it's not even full-time coaching. Again, there's your gym program. Go and do it yourself because you you need to own that. Like, it's yeah. not like I'm standing over you making you do it. You're getting more ball contact there. You're, you're, you're messing around on the training pitch afterwards, hitting fucking diags that will help you in a game. Like, And yeah. do you know what? That's when you go, right, well, do you know what, Flinny, teach teach that kid how to defend 1v1 in wide areas, Graham, teach him how to defend the box, teach him how to play these type of passes as a centre-back, all that stuff. Knowledge, you know, being, are you prepared to perform? Are you eating properly? Are you all this stuff? All that thing that they're getting. And, and, and we're trying that with, obviously, the, the transition year programme, which, you, which you've come up and spoke with. And then, you know, they go into Ashfield and kick on. But we're having to do that off air back and there's yeah, no, yeah. again, the funding, but every every League of Ireland club should have that, you Absolutely. know? Come here, um, during COVID as well, you uh, you established yourself as a pretty excellent pundit, thanks to uh, doing your commentary on SRFC TV. And, and you're now a, a regular contributor on Off The Ball, which I listen to when you're always on it and you're brilliant. Um, what's... What's the plan? Do you do you have any goals for the old broadcasting? Um, again, I fell into it. <laughs> like, yeah, you fell into it now, but look, give yourself some credit, will you, please? Like you're you're because no, you you're excellent at it. No, I tell you why. Like again, and it goes back to it. I was over here by myself, and Robbo doesn't. Robbo's not much of a talker, and he and then he says to the lads, "Graham's not doing that." And like he, I, I think Robbo just thought. Just get Graham out. I keep him busy because me again. Hannah was in Scotland with the two kids, so I go straight from training and down to do the game. And it was it was a good way of watching the game as well, to be honest. Yeah. And then uh, Con, the first game I done, Con just turned and says to Kieran, um, he should do every game. And I went, what? And he went, he should do every game to the producer, because he's excellent. And uh, I was standing there. I was a bit taken aback and he goes that was really enjoyable like you know yeah. and uh, so then I sat with Con and Roy Con talked to me here like what do I need to do and he just <laughs> said well don't do that and I went right <laughs> and then uh, so he just sort of polished me up a little bit but he just said whatever you do just keep being yourself and um, because it's it's really good and uh, and then you start again again like I'd be watching the game and I'd be going what that got over and all and then he'd be going talk it's true like so that's when and then um the off the ball stuff came and i done i got a, a few people mentioned that i was good list i was a good listen on on twitter and then off the ball rang and then you go in and do off the ball and the off the ball stuff's great because it's just a chat and as you can tell here you're probably running out of zoom time but it becomes a good <laughs> chat and uh, <laughs> and i like talking and i, I enjoy talking football and i love talking the as in different people's views on it. I'm like, yeah. I'm not fucking hell, I'm far from the article, but you, I give what I feel is my version of it. And if it's a discussion to go, well, I see it like that. Well, 
I understand that as well. I like so I'm never I don't speak in absolutes and 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 try and make out that that's the answer. I'll talk about my preference as a player or my preference as a coach. And yeah, yeah. sometimes I wasn't as good as a as a player as I or as good in the dressing room as I thought I was. And looking at it back, you think, fuck, what was I doing as a player? And then um as a coach, I think and right, how did I come across to the players here in that sense? So you you I mean, you like Again, you sort of and you've a great you've a great dynamic with uh, Bayrak's own John Duggan as well. Ah, L J D. Yeah, yeah, he's he's all. Do you know what I like J D. Because Jay actually he encourages me to ask questions. He'll go, and then I'll jump in and go. <laughs> I was like, "Here, Laro." To Mark, I remember that. That was deadly. <laughs> and I'm like, and then my brothers are texting me because they're big Liverpool fans. Going, what are you doing? I'm going, I don't know. I just threw out a question. Go, oh, <laughs> that was deadly. I says, Loro has a, a bottle of Jemsons behind him. I was like, where'd you get your Jemsons? He's like, what? <laughs> you could see him. I need a new one. And then the boys are like, this is... Afterwards, they're like, that's great because there's just... There's a naturalness to it that... Oh, I mean, by the way, if I sit in front of a, another footballer that played a different level, I... I quizzed them as well. I love when Pajo starts telling me stories about like when he played, like Pajo played for Ireland from 14 to 18 and was captain all the way through. Like he was, just, he was a superstar going to Wolves. And I, that fascinated me. So I was like, captain of really? the Wolves reserves as well. Yeah. Like, and I'm going, really? And he goes, yeah. Like, and he started going, why do you sound surprised? I was like, sorry. <laughs> sorry to sound surprised. But, um, but it was like, I, that was intriguing. So, Again, I was always in and out of the Ireland squads all the way up. And then I get called up to play for Ireland when I'm a, se- a senior level. So we're giving, we're talking about that to the kids to go, just because you're this successful, this young, doesn't define you. Yeah. Brian Kerr loved Padjo at underage. He always had him. Yeah, he was an squad. animal. That's why I'd say. You know I mean, I remember, that's why he was like 14 and he was. I remember um, we were at a Christy Moore concert years ago and Brian Kerr was at it. And Wolves wouldn't release Padjo for Ireland. And uh, it was before the gig and Kerr comes over and was like, Podge, what's the story with Wolves? And now they eventually released him for the, the games, but he was up in arms that Wolves wouldn't release him. It was gas. He was ringing um, Barnsley to tell them to hold on to me. Yeah, oh, was he? <laughs> <laughs> Come here. Um, in terms of coaching, like, is it the academy level that you want to stick with or have you got aspirations? Like, would, would, you, would, you, would you dip your finger into a senior role in the League of Ireland? Uh, I've been I've been asked a couple of times. Um, it's weird because you know what Pajo Flynn asked me this the other day last week, and um, the answer was sort of I don't want to sound unambitious here, like you know I really don't because I'd be I'd be quite well driven, but I I again going into the League of Ireland is is what like you know like you're going into a, what full time gig you're going into. What's the structures around it? I realised that when I went to Dundee that we'd no training ground, like, you know, and you're I'm going, what? Like you're getting changed in the stadium and travelling and you're sort of going, this isn't as structured as I thought. And they're like, I've I've a wife and two kids that I need to make sure that I, I give them a, a platform and I need to let me, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, soon to be six-year-old, that I need to make sure that they have a structure now for them to chase their dreams a little bit. Yeah. So um, I sorted, but in the last year, I've I've probably really grown to to really enjoy the the, the academy phase of it. 
I, I love the youth development phase. I love getting to know 14, 15 year olds and really drive them and give them good habits. Um, and that's something I'd, I'd like to maybe try and specialize in going forward where I'd, I'd, I'd really like to go and uh, learn the psychology behind what teenagers think and how they learn and then develop sessions that I can put together to, to just be that person that goes right from, from 13 to 16. This is what we do with them and this is why and break it down and then really drive it. Um, Deadly. Because the the feeling you get when you see like the kid, the, the lads be successful at the weekend, but then come on and play in the first team, it was probably as good a feeling as I had a senior level watching my team win at Dundee, Deadly. you know. So again, in terms of chasing that, chasing that buzz for yourself as a coach, that that, but. I don't know. I, I can. I. I'm. I, I can still be competitive underneath it, and I've never felt I couldn't do something. So, if someone says, "Do you think you could do that?" I go, "Yeah, I'll have a go." Like that. That's something. My mom gave me a lot of great habits. She. She was brilliant. She's. She's a saint of a woman. Um, we'd be lost without her. She. She kept our family together. But my dad gave me that little thing of why not? Like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the things he gave me. Like, why? Why? Why not you? Like, you know, have a fucking go. And I go, I will have a go. I end up getting a hiding or something, but it'd be like, have a go. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Know, that's deadly though. <laughs> so um that was the one thing he gave me that I I I'd be whenever I get asked, I always go, have a go off that, like you know. Deadly. But it's a hard one. I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing at the minute. Right. So I won't be backing you to be the next whoever manager of Longford. Longford manager. Yeah, next lo- oh there you've heard it here first. Me Listen, and, me, guys. Me and the Flynn dog. Thanks. Yeah, you yeah. Trying to do Kitman. Absolutely. Just throw have all me, the jackets on you. Have me in for something because I've loved you inviting me onto the dugout with the matches. Remember the first match that you had me in the dugout and I did I forgot it was there was three halves, three to three towards <laughs> and uh, against Bowes and 60 minutes gone and I'm nearly on the pitch, even though there's another 30 minutes left. Yeah. So uh but no, I've loved I've loved it and uh thanks very much for that. But listen, did you enjoy it. Yeah, what did you take out of it? Uh I I like, it's just mad to think that Rovers was on its arse in 2005 and then in 2022, like, you have me in the dugout watching a team, uh, a very unbelievable, excellent team, compete for the double. And it's, and then even when you're going up and roads down, and even when I've been talking to the kids in transition year, up, up and roads down, it's just a pinch, pinch yourself moment. Like, you know, I've been following Rovers. My first Rovers matches were the early 90s, you know. Uh, tried my best to get to as, as best I could, the late 90s, early 2000s. And then when Padge signed, I've been full-time ever since. Yeah. Uh, and, it, yeah, it's just pinched me, like, you know, it's it's just mad. I've always thought, what I took away from it was like, holy fuck, this is unbelievable. But also being surrounded by such talented kids that, have an unbelievable opportunity of making it as a footballer and my kind of interpretation of making it as a footballer is making it in the League of Ireland because it's a professional setup you know so yeah it's just deadly it's class but it's it's, yeah it's weird like and like I said to you 
they're not all going to play for Rovers, and and, and but you want them to play football, and that was yep. the that was the crux of that at the weekend was like, listen, just have a love and enthusiasm that stays with you because it will get you through wherever you need to get through in football, like you know. Absolutely, and, and with Padge being coaching since he retired, like I'll often sit with him and his gaff on a Saturday night, and he'd be looking through players that got minutes, you know, yeah. players that say when him and Royster were coaching even, he'd be like, well, he's like, he'd be delighted for Dean Williams. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, yeah he's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He'd be delighted for players that he helped bring through that are getting first team minutes in the league of Ireland. He's so proud of that. He'd be probably too modest to say it. And you're very quite modest yourself, but. Um, I know there's one, like there's one that haunts me, Mero, like as much as the successes um, are great and, and you, you know, I get stick because it's like oh, I tried to sign Justin when he was 11 and his dad told me where to go Alton like you know <laughs> we went back in and got him but like I like I tried to sign Evan Ferguson you know Barry was like come on Graham we can't travel from they live around the corner here so yeah. I can't travel from Laytown like but I was like alright Barry I have to try so again that whole generation that we were trying to get but there was a lad there was a lad that lived in Feathercairn I lived in Glen Shane and he was in that 15s team I trained and I never forget him. Never forget. And he haunts me to this day, like because I knocked onto his house every day to make sure he was all right. And I used to pick him up for training, and, like you know, drive him to games and like just trying to keep him off the streets. Like, and he was like, I've never seen, like he was like hard to describe what he was like in terms of what he could have been. But like he, he go, we're gonna do it. I need an in swinger on that side, and he go, yeah, and he'd run over and he'd go right foot, whip it in, bang. On the money, and I go brilliant. Right, give us a lefty. I didn't really know the group, so I was going, Give me a lefty out of him, you a lefty. And he'd, he'd go, I'll do it. And he ran over and he'd put it in with his left foot on the money. And, and I'm it, like, You taking the fucking piss here? Like, he's still he goes, that's what I'm saying. I don't I like done everything. And he'd take free kicks and he'd, he'd put the free kick in the middle and he'd look at what the keeper was doing and then he'd decide what foot to hit it with. And I've never seen that like he was one of the most talented kids I've I've seen at that age group. And again, didn't have great coaching, didn't have great facilities, but the wrong place, the wrong time. We just we got there three years too late. And uh he's the one that haunts me, like because yes. I can't I, I I like he he literally lived, I could see his house from my man's back window. And all I wanted to do was go, like, he could have been the one that came out of Tala. And I'm going, imagine him playing in Rovers in a few years. And he'd yeah. rip it. And we just couldn't we just couldn't stop him. He just had a wildness in him that he just wanted to go. And uh, I just couldn't, I just couldn't save him. And I, I, like, it wasn't my place to save him, don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. I just couldn't, we just weren't set up enough to, to help him. So help him, yeah. for all the ones that successes we have, that boy Kane is the one that, like, I still to this day I'm like we need we we need to do more for the players like because of him. Jesus, Roy, come here. You're a gentleman. Thanks so much for your no time. No bother at all. Pleasure, lads. A gentleman. Hopefully, you're gonna get loads of hits off this. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guards. You're a gent. Good luck. I tell you one thing. I didn't talk much, but I fucking loved it. Yeah. Roy, sometimes it's nice to be a passenger. You know yeah. what I mean. Sometimes well, especially because so the stuff that you're listening to is is informative and is oh, interesting, and that's it. Like that's it. You know what I mean? He's, and I think I said it to him afterwards when we, when we pressed stop on recording with him. Whereas, like, it's 
it's one thing when you have a guest who who talks. It's another thing when you have a guest who talks and you can tell like their brain is ticking over as they're telling you and they're actually walking you through and explaining it to you why something was or how something is and yeah. why their opinion is what it is. I can sit and listen to Graham. And I've never I've never spoken to him before. I've never met him. I know I know you have. I could have sat and listened to him for another two hours yeah, talking yeah. about his career yeah. or talking about schoolboy football or talking about the importance of why things need to be done differently and everything. Yeah. Fascinating to listen to. Well, his commentary is brilliant as well, and so is his punditry, but his commentary particularly because of his experience of being a footballer and now a coach. Um he kind of like tells a story as to why, like when a goal is scored, mm. the story is told of the assist and why the player took it on his left. And it's just, it's, it's easy listening. It's easy on the ear. Like, do you know yeah, the way? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Good. I really enjoyed that. A good play by play commentator is hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah. when you do find one, treasure them because you'll, you'll know a bad one when you hear it. So. Exactly. Um, anyway, thanks to Grand Garland. I enjoyed that. And as somebody who isn't, uh, who is a blow-in and very much a fair-weather uh, League of Ireland fan or whatever. That, that was an enjoyable listen for me. So, um, yeah, it was nice being a passenger this week. Thanks for carrying that, Meryl. No worries. Um, you can listen to us on WTSPod.com or you can go to any podcast provider and search WTSPod. I use Spotify and Podcast Republic, but we're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean and others. Um, we're at WTS Pod on Twitter. He's at Danjo Murray on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Merrigan Mania on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet. <laughs> <laughs>